0: Welcome back to Deconstructing Damsels, where I'm going to talk about Married to the Viscount as soon as I can stop sneezing, because this podcast has had a wee bit of a trouble the past couple months between sickness, not sickness, sickness, full retail hours, like almost 40 hour weeks, plus sickness, and then not. So we're just going to try and do what we can, okay? All right. We're also going to feature two podcasts, one promo. One, the actual podcast itself and why I love it. And I'm going to give some information in a little bit about what's going on with the future of the podcast. Which, it's not going away. Please don't think it is. There's just some things I need to discuss. So, first up, I want to thank everybody that has left a review. I want to especially thank anyone that has contacted me on Twitter or told me you know, what you like and what you don't like about this show. It means a lot to me. It kind of helps not just the podcast, but me, because sometimes I don't always know how much my personality should go in and how much shouldn't, because I'm kind of a handful for the most part. If you follow me on Twitter, you know this to be a fact, on any of my accounts, actually. But more than that, I like the fact that there's such a deep community, and I know I keep seeing this every episode, and I will continue to say this every episode, but there's a deep community that kind of allows me to pull in and pull out And add some things and take some things away. And for your benefit, I am going to be pausing every time I cough. So, yay team y'all, because you don't have to hear it. Because trust me, you don't want to. Oh lord there, I went sounding real southern, didn't I? Sorry. Unlike most episodes, I don't really have a full list of resources from the books that I read. Because I got sick and I got tired and I said that's a lot of work. And for once, I was just like team me first, so I kind of don't have them. So if I seem a little bit scattershot, there's multiple reasons for it. So the promo of the episode will be featuring Happily Ever Aftermath, which is a show that kind of talks about relationships and love and how they affect us individually. You know, like if you've ever watch something like Love Actually and you see the experience that Emma Thompson's character has with Alan Rickman's cheating husbandry ways. there's something where we can kind of understand and look at something. And Paulina and Diana do a really good job of that. And I think that you guys should listen to it. So I'm going to push that on out the way. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll talk about Married to the Viscount by Sabrina Jeffries. Okay, and now we can start talking about the book of the moment. So I've talked about this on Instagram and Twitter a fair amount, but I actually go to a thrift store that's local because you can get books for 50 cents. That's huge, right? Like 50 cents is no small sneeze when hardback and and trade paperbacks and stuff can be like eight bucks. So it's also how I find a lot of authors. I've actually never read Sabrina Jeffries before this, but I'm definitely like on board reading other characters by her because I loved the characters. The heroine is Abigail Mercer and she is an American who comes with a little bit of money, roughly $5,000 or so with her dowry, I think, and her father's business, which works in America but may not translate. And the Viscount, Lord Ravenswood, is coming over to see if it's a good investment because his brother wants to invest in the business and that's how they meet. But what I like about Abigail is is Abby has no fear whatsoever. There is no fear. If something is going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. She's not gonna run from it. She's not gonna hide from it. She's just gonna head-on deal with it and I found that really refreshing really well done and for a book that came out in 2004 that's pretty informative and pretty interesting and I'm really into it I also like the fact that Abby is confident she's confident the way that Felicity from Wicked and the Wallflower was and actually I wasn't going to review this book because I was doing two historicals in a row and I try and change it up but I had the notes (laughs) It was something I could put out for you guys to listen to. And I really actually was very deeply invested in this book. And I think that's an important element of the podcast. Abigail has this great ability to not run from anything that may be in the way. And by that, I mean, she's got this wariness that even with that confidence, she realizes something doesn't add up. Something isn't right. This person that she's supposed to be in a relationship with is two different people and she doesn't understand why. She doesn't understand it. Like, she's like, okay, but I knew this one guy and I was kind of falling in love with him and then this other asshole appeared and I don't know why. And I, I just, there's something very realistic about that. And she actually says in the beginning of the book, she trusted the gentleman. She didn't quite trust the Viscount. And I think that's really important to note because the gentleman was a person that she fell in love with. The Viscount was someone that was cold, unfeeling, and seriously needed to get his head out of his ass. She's also really competent because when Spencer Law, who's the Viscount, throws her into a world that she's not really prepared for being a Viscountess and also being part of the high society. She puts in a lot of work to learn how to fit into the society, even if it's not something she's ever really dealt with. Because American society is going to be very different from British society because they've got very different backgrounds and very different world experiences in that way. And she wanted to make sure he didn't lose any social standing because of who she was. Which is kind of awesome considering he was an asshole to her a fair amount sometimes. And oh my god, let me talk about the business-minded element. So she wanted to bring her dad's business to... Britain and make some money off of it. It was a medicinal thing, but it didn't work for the British people for whatever reason. But one of his associates, Lady Bromley, finds that it's great perfume. So she gets Abigail together and she kind of backs it almost like an investor and creates this huge, you know, launch. I mean, it's called Heaven's Scent now instead of Mead's Medicinal. I can't remember something. And it's just like this amazing idea And he wants her to stay because, okay, so for the relationship, I should back up a little bit. His brother wanted him to invest in the business, and he said, okay. But he wasn't wasn't into it because he had to go back because something happened, and he had to chart that ship for three weeks to go back to America. And so... He gets back and his brother at some point has actually forged the documents and married Abigail in Spencer's stead and has created this big issue, understandably so. And so he said that, you know, well, right now Parliament's in session. I need you to stay, you know, just don't create a big deal. And then we can go get, you know, this annulled or whatever you want to do in America. And over here, you know, we'll just say that it's an, a strange marriage or whatever because those are common in society. And he promises her $10,000, which is double the dowry that his brother stole when he was on the run. And he's just like, okay. And she's like, the fuck? But okay, if you want to give me money, let's run with it. And she's got this great business acumen where she sees things where they should be. And she understands elements that maybe may not work out in the end. I really, really think that that's a strong part of historicals I don't really see a lot of. And women have been running businesses since, like, forever. So I don't see why that we can't discuss that more in historicals. Because we always suspend disbelief when we read these books, right? Like, we know there's not 35 members of the dukedoms to come across things. But we do suspend a disbelief for the masquerades and all that stuff. So why can't we add an element of reality and put in the business owners? Again, that's why I like looking at the Wallflower and the brothel for women versus the brothel for men. I was down with it. And so I think that we need to put more of those kind of characters into the books. And Abigail doesn't need Spencer to do this with Lady Bromley backing over that $50. That bought her what she needed for the beginning, And to kind of help create the hype. And that's amazing. And I love it. And it takes away his power from her. And that's hella important. Because every woman should make an informed decision. And that should be consented. And I feel like sometimes that's taken away again for the suspension of disbelief. I will say that sometimes I felt like she was a little bit too infatuated with forgiving him for things that he had or had not done. And I kind of wish she wasn't have done that, but it's one of those things if we kind of accept it as is, because it is a romance, so I can follow along with that. I just wish that she had had a little bit more independence from that. And I wish that she had had maybe a little bit more friends, but her closest ally was Mrs. Graham. And in the book it says, Mrs. Graham had been with the Mercer family at Eternity. First as Abby's nursemaid and later as a general family servant and now she acts both as chaperone but also friend and I think that's really important because Abigail is a orphan like in many ways because her dad was white and her mom was Seneca, which is a Native American tribe and so She's kind of walking this weird world where she's not accepted in one world and she's not accepted in another. And having that ability to hold on tight to some element of her past is really important when you're thrown into the world of really crazy crap, right? And so I just, I thought it was great. I thought it was nice to see her do that. I like the fact that she made friends with one of uh, Spencer's friend's wives. Like there's just this element of community Because Lady Clara didn't really worry about it, you know? And I believe that Lady Clara was probably in another book, um, because this is the sixth book in the series, so I'm not sure, because I grabbed him because it was available at my bookstore at the cheap price of 50 cents, so I don't know. I kind of wish there'd been a little bit more discussion about her past, though, like, you know. Maybe a little bit more discussion about her mom because there are some things that made her very syndican and some things that made her very white American, Anglo-American. And she talks about them throughout. I will say this. Jeffrey does an amazing job of talking about it throughout. But I wish that we had talked a little bit more about the differences between, like, the syndican values and the British values because hugely different views on life, Right. And I wish there had been a little bit more of that that touchstone to her past a little bit. Because we know pretty much what like white Americans were thinking at that time. And because you know, it's like, I think this was like the 1860s, I mean, not 1860s, 1816, you know, that, that area. And so I just wish there had been a little bit more community on that. But if we're going to talk about someone I really don't like, I kind of loathe Spencer the Viscount. I just, I wanted to like him because I wanted Abby to have the best happy ever after, ever, ever, ever. But I don't think he's that man. Instead, he's a cold guy, except when he's foxed out of his mind and he's a little bit more honest, which is the gentleman that she thought she was meeting, and then he turns out to be a jackass. He refuses to listen to anybody's opinion but his own. He manipulates situations to fit his plans. He doesn't turn around about fair play, like he doesn't like it. And so, like, he punishes Abby when she kind of sets up these situations. But I don't really blame her. Like, she's married to a guy she doesn't know. She's going to want to know what's going on. And it feels like he punishes her for that knowledge or that lack of knowledge and drives me a little bit batty. But the thing that really made me loathe him is Abby was a virgin when they got married. She There was a lot of um, innocence that she had. But it wasn't innocence as in something wrong because, like, Her mother was explaining how play was, as her mother called it, play. You know, foreplay and, you know, just not penetrating but enjoying body parts. And the thing that I didn't like was Abby was starting to really get into her own sexuality. And he makes her lose all her, like, confidence as a sexual woman as she's growing and as she's learning. Because she's a little bit later in life. I think she's, like, her late 20s. And, like, he uses sex as a weapon. There's one scene in the library that I, or study or whatever it was, I, if you've read the book, you know the scene I mean. And you know that I probably wanted to throw it against the wall about four times when I was reading it. And considering this actual physical book I could do, have done that, which is rare. I, I just, ugh. The, I will say, whatever he was doing in Parliament, because I don't know, because they didn't really talk about it, was pretty interesting, and it was interesting that the king became kind of like a possible paramour for Abby, but I like the fact that, you know, Spencer wasn't okay with that, but I wasn't okay with his jealousy. I just, I could not root for this guy. I could not give him any any kind of abilities, because he just, he doesn't listen to Abby. He thinks he knows everything. He reminds me of a less charismatic Bae from Joe Beverly's Malorian series. You know, he's definitely missing a lot of that love and care, and because he's got his points of view, and you are going to know his points of view. You know, he's got that kind of attitude. And it doesn't really work with Abby because Abby is bright, she's investigative, she's, you know, she's really competent about what you put in front of her. She's got all these ideas. She's, you know, willing to make her own money and make her own situations, and he hates that. It's like, everything is judged by his prior experiences with women, and I'm like, really? Really? And, like, some of it I get, because he thinks that he's unable to have kids, and that's because of issues in the war and the Napoleonic Wars. He got blasted in the leg, and when he got blasted in the leg, he got his nutty bits kind of... (laughs) And so the doctor said he'd never be able to have kids. And so he doesn't want to get married. He doesn't want to have all these expectations, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, his mistress of years didn't have kids, so it's all about him, obviously. But it just... uh, And, like, his issues with his stepmother. So his mother died, and his father married a woman that was just barely older than him and his brother. I think she was, like, maybe eight or nine years older than him, and he was, like, ten. So a baby. He purposely went after a young woman and his father and stepmother didn't get, you know, get along. And it was acrimonious because his father wanted no more kids. And she did. And there was all this thing. And like he just continuously degrades Abby to fit with his stepmother's reality without even discussing anything. And it it takes Nathaniel, his brother, to say, okay, this is ridiculous. What the fuck? Our stepmother did not abandon us because she didn't want to raise us. She abandoned us because our father was a shithole. Which you should know because you're kind of acting like him now. Hallelujah to Nathaniel on that. But, you know, Nathaniel's 29 and acts very much like a 17-year-old, which seems to be a theme in historical romances. But anyway. So when Abby discusses things with him, there's some scenes where they kind of really have this strong fight And I don't mean like a physical fight or even an emotional fight, but it's a fight for what they want. And Abby just has this fan-fucking-tastic line. She says, A woman of character stands by her choices. She doesn't leave a man she loves or children who need her simply because she's changed her mind. But you apparently think I'm not a woman of character. And I was just like, boom, motherfucker. That's exactly what it is. He is ascribing everyone to some surface-level shit And Abby is not that person. If he had been paying attention while she's there, he would know it. He continuously makes his pain all about him and never includes her. And it's just, oh my god. I'm just, I'm done with it. And he makes all these proclamations. And uh, I'm not here for him. I'm just really not here for him. And so, like, he kind of joins Jeremy from Temptations of a Wallflower. I mean... That's where he's living in my head. I'm not going to like him too much. I can never like him too much. He was authoritative, and then there's an asshole, and he hits asshole. I've already discussed his brother a little bit, Nathaniel, who is actually using her dowry money to find bottles and stuff for this medicinal mead that he thinks she's still making instead of the perfume. And, you know, he's going to bottle makers and all this kind of stuff and trying to set it up so that way when she gets there, she'll have an option But he, like, left out on, like, his engagement dinner because she got there too early and it was just a thing. Anyway, Nathaniel kind of creeps me out in some ways because Evelina is 20 years old and that's his bride-to-be. And she's a lot more optimistic and a lot more solid in her understanding of Nathaniel. And he kind of wraps her up and stuff. But I'm like, dude, she's 20. She's like a baby. She's rather socially aware that her mother just wants to advance up the ladder instead of her going for love, but she wants to go for love. And she does see the lie that you know Spencer told in order to, to put society off of Nathan disappearing before she finds out what's going on. and she's like, "The hell." And Spencer calls her poppet because they've known her since she's a kid, and I'm like, Ugh. And then there's an older brother that Nathaniel and Spencer had that died. When he died, that made Spencer the viscount. And I should mention when I when I first heard viscount, I didn't hear viscount in my head. I heard viscount. So Clayton, from learning the tropes, you and I are totally on the same wavelength. There, we're there because where the hell did that s good disappear to? It says viscount. I mean, French is evil. That's all I got to say about it. And I've kind of talked a little bit about their romance. I will say, like, they meet when he goes over there to consider investing in the property and blah, 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 or her father's thing. And her father will only allow the person that marries her to get shares of the business. So that's another reason why Nathaniel is kind of being gross, is he wants to kind of keep it in the family and get that ability to make some money. He kind of loves her because she treats him as if he were an equal in station, Versus being, you know, a muckety-muck. And I'm like, okay. Well, you don't deserve a lot. But anyway, he quotes Lord Byron, which Nathaniel uses to convince her the marriage was real. But uh, <laughs> Anyway, so when she shows up to Britain, she's wearing a corset and kind of like in Pirates of the Caribbean, the corset restricts the breathing and he has to cut it off of her and kind of putting her in a compromising situation, which is why he says, this is my wife. And anyway... It's just kind of, like, weird. There were some pretty hot scenes of sex as they played. Until they finally consummate the marriage, there's a lot of, like, warming her up. But he played so cold with her. Like, he'd be hot and cold, hot and cold. And I really hate that damn plot point. Because it takes away a woman's vibrancy in sex. And we see it every day in our life. And I don't always want to read about that. Because I think a woman being vibrant in her sexuality and enjoying herself and being like, okay, this is awesome. It's something that should not be ashamed of ever, ever. And they seem to be like the driving force for everything seems to be sex. There's a scene after the consummation, after the final penetration, he says, I love you. And then fucks everything up again, because that's what he does best. He just fucks everything up. And then one of the hottest scenes, the one that I mentioned about the library, was probably one of the best I've read in a really long time. Um, But I won't discuss it too deeply because I get angry when I read about it. But basically, his cruelty knows no bounds. He didn't want kids around because he couldn't have kids, blah, 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 blah. God forbid you find a family. And so she was bringing Lady Clara's kids that were in the home that she was taking and doing because it was from like former pickpockets and things like things like that to kind of give them another view and another purpose and like another trade besides you know stealing and going to jail and Newgate and wherever else. So she brings him over when she's trying to bottle the perfume to take to Lady Bromley's luncheon that'll be happening in a couple days, and he is so angry he like plays the part of a very happy patriarch. Blah 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 blah. And then he turns the sex against her in the library after that. And if I didn't hate him before, that made me loathe Spencer. Spencer Law is just, uh, oh, It's a villainous act. It is not an act of goodness. It's not an act of me loving a character and watching them grow because he doesn't even realize he loves her until he basically loses her. And I'm just like, come the hell on, dude. Really? Really, Mr. Dude? No, none for you. And when I say her infatuation with Spencer, you know, obviously they get a happily ever after. And there's some things that happen in the epilogue, which Aaron from Heating bosoms don't read the epilogue. Moving on. It's one of your things that you dislike the most. I liked the book. I just wish I could have rooted for the hero instead of just the heroine. Because I think it would have made it a lot better. And I think it would have felt a lot more complete But I can't hate Abigail Mercer. I will probably go down as one of my top 15 or so of women that I've read in historicals. Which doesn't sound that big, but please know I read a lot of historicals. So it's actually a pretty high list. I don't really have a lot of favorite scenes in this book. The most favorite scenes I have are Abby and Lady Claire with the kids in the house and then bottling and... You know, teaching them new trades and teaching them how to make things like perfumes and giving them something to do, giving them some future goals. But in general, it was really hard with Spencer being in the book, honestly. I just, there wasn't a lot of love and communication between the couple and that kind of felt flat. If I were to grade this book, which I usually don't do, I usually say read or reread. But if I were to grade this book, I'd probably give it around... A c plus solid C plus and that's literally because of Spencer. If I could have like found a better hero for Abby, I probably would have given it like an A plus because who she is and what she's doing is amazing. Him being a jerk is not obviously, I like Sabrina Jeffries. I've actually read at the same time I watched this book, I actually bought a anthology with her, and it's got I think Julia London and Jane Feather. Uh, I think it's called Once Upon a Snowy Night or something like that. And I really enjoyed Jeffries in that series as well. So I'm going to search her out. I don't know if I'm going to buy her on Kindle prices because $6.99 is pretty high. But I'm definitely going to be, you know, looking out for her, trying to find other books, other paperbacks, my 50 cent deals. And so I just kind of want to communicate that. I definitely like her style. I like her writing If I could just erase Spencer from literature, that'd be great. So I'm going to talk about the featured podcast, and I'm going to talk about two women who are hugely into communicating and building this great network. And I don't just mean network like literal network, but like a network of support, and that is NRI Women. Bettina and Nora are two Indian women who are now living outside of India, and NRI Women talks about dysphoria, how Indian women face different complications in the society that they move to or that they stay in, the different stigmas, the different realities, the different experiences, and there Currently, I have the first two seasons done. I think season three starts in March, so you've definitely got time to listen to them all. What they do is they interview different women, and I love that. I honestly had never really thought about Indian dysphoria because we don't really talk about it much in America, but there's a huge Indian population, right? So why are we not talking about the experiences that women go through and how they adjust and... What you know they do on their time, what they don't do on their time, how marriages work, how some of the marriages between international couples work. As someone in an international couple, I totally get that, and I didn't really think about it. But I found an RI woman pretty early on, and I champion them every time I can. And interestingly enough, they champion me as well in this podcast, and. I'm lucky in that because they're two very genuine women who enjoy what they do. And what they do is to create a community that maybe didn't exist before they started it. I definitely am going to promote NRI Woman. I think everybody should. You can find them on Twitter at NRI underscore woman. And you see them a lot on there. They're also on Instagram at NRI Woman Podcast. And of course, they're at nriwoman.com for their central location. I think if you really enjoy learning about women, which you should, considering you're listening to this podcast, right, then you should definitely listen to Bettina and Nora and see how they've experienced many different life lessons in many different ways and the connection they have to their communities outside their friendship. And I totally am going to stop talking about them now. Enjoy NRI Woman, and I hope that you really, really can connect with what they're trying to do, because it's pretty important, I think. Okay, so I told y'all that I was going to talk at the end of the episode, and surprise, we're here. So here's what I've decided. I'm going to have a Patreon-exclusive series, and it's just going to be me reading old historicals. And when I say old historicals, I mean like Joanna Lindsay, you know, the bodice ripper types. Cause again, I can get them really easily from my store of 50 cents. It's just the best store ever. Anyway. And by the way, it's not actually a bookstore. It's just a regular thrift store. And what I want to do is I want to make it to where you guys can listen to me as I rail on about it. Cause I have a feeling I'm going to do that with Joanna Lindsay. It's been 20 years since I've read one of her books or more, so this is going to be pretty interesting. And I also have another Patreon episode I'm going to record probably on Tuesday. Hopefully it will be up later this week. I'm off on weird days because retail life is not always the most conducive to regular scheduling along with being sick. So, I have that one ready to go and I'm going to try and have... The one with Sven and I talking about Spellswept, which is a Stephanie Burgess novella to her Harwood I think it's Harwood it's a novella in the beginning of her world where what happens if Boudica had lived but had a wizard for a partner and she became the queen and almost the founder of England not England but England. It just this great world that I'm going to be... We'll talk about it then. We're kind of keeping it to the side, but definitely keep an eye out on that one. Probably that's going to be next week. Not this week, though. Kind of going to move some stuff around. And I still haven't forgotten the Coyote's Comfort, guys. I promise you. I have to finish writing up the list. And I'm going to put that up. And then later this month, we're going to do How to Date Your Dragon by Molly Harper. Because... I freaking love PNR. What can I tell you? And I especially love it when it's got some great barbs and these great little, like, worlds. You know, there's a reason why Mary Janice Davidson, Molly Harper, you know, Michelle Bardsley, all these people kind of, I keep going back to them because I really appreciate the kind of rom-com chick lit romance that's going on there. Thank y'all for listening. I appreciate every single one. If you want a review, hot (laughs) niggity, I would appreciate it. It's at the, wherever you listen, most people promote Apple. I mean, that's where I download, so that's usually why I'm promoting it. But wherever you listen, I would love to get a review. If you want to send me a screen cap at damselspodcast at gmail.com I would love it just because I want to know what you guys are seeing and saying and what you guys want to add. You can find Deconstructing Damsels in this podcast at damsels podcast on Twitter and Instagram. There's technically a Facebook page, but I never updated because mostly Facebook for me is the Heaving Bosoms, Lady Pod Squad, and History Chicks groups for the most part. You can also find my personal account at JessicaHannon81, but I don't post on there as much as I post on the podcast one because I'm trying to keep the podcast one up. If you guys want to, I don't know, send me like strange fanfiction, I'll read it. I'll talk about it. Please note, I've already read Skullfucker, so there's no way you can kind of like screw with that part of me. Actually, I made Sven read it years ago. So even he's read and he wasn't even into Harry Potter. Thank you guys. I appreciate it and I'll talk to you next time. Bye guys.